You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this fourth day of June, 2011. I'd like to welcome all the listeners back to the podcast and invite everyone, as always, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created and conducted by myself in the past, as well as links to other alternative independent media outlets like ActivistPost.com, which posts many of the Corbett Report's articles and videos. This week, I'd like to draw the listeners' attention to an interview that was conducted with yours truly by Aaron Franz of TheAgeOfTransitions.com, and he has a program entitled Trans Resistor Radio, looking at the issues of the singularity and resistance to the transhumanism movement. And he had me on his program recently for an interesting conversation on uh, along those lines. So if you are interested, I will, of course, include in the documentation section for today's episode under the current time index a link back to that interview so you can go and check that out. And of course, check out all of Aaron Franz's other work, including the documentary The Age of Transition. And on another note, I would like to thank everyone who has taken the time to contact me through the contact form on CorbettReport.com with your comments or questions or complaints or criticisms or positive feedback, all of which is very much appreciated. And uh, I do, do, as always, absolutely make my best effort to try to respond to everyone and all of the comments and things that are coming into the website, but it is extremely difficult to do so. And as the Corbett Report continues to grow and grow and grow at an incredible rate, so too does the amount of emails and feedback that I get continue to grow and grow. So it makes it even harder uh, for me to respond to everyone personally. So I have been trying my best, but I physically cannot respond to it all while continuing to do the podcast and interviews and articles and videos. So on that note, it's been an awfully long time since we've had a listener feedback episode of this podcast, and longtime listeners to this podcast might remember from episodes such as How to Defeat the New World Order, that in fact, yes, there are listener feedback episodes of this podcast in which you, the listener, have the say and control the direction of the conversation. So in that vein, I would like to once again do exactly that. So next week's episode of this podcast, episode 190, will be a listener feedback episode. And unlike the other listener feedback episodes in this podcast so far, this one has no particular theme. I've been thinking about a theme, but in fact, I've decided not to actually include a theme or a suggestion or a question for this next episode, because I really want this to be directed by the listeners out out there. I want to take a snapshot of the audience, what you're thinking, and what, you, what it, you're interested in out there. So I'm going to leave it completely open to you what you want to talk about. You can send me a comment, a question, a criticism, a helpful, hope, hopefully helpful and constructive criticism, uh, praise, whatever you want to do, just send it in and make sure that you indicate that it's for episode 190, and I will put it on the air. Or... Well, let me add the caveat, I'll try to put it on the air. Obviously, it depends on the amount of feedback that comes in, and this is a roughly one-hour podcast, so if, if, I, if I get a lot of feedback, obviously it will not be possible for me to put it all in. But at any rate, so that is the, uh, the task for you this week. 
write into me with a comment, a question, a complaint, a criticism, something something you want to add to this conversation, something that you'd like to to uh, get the listeners to think about, and I will try to put it on the air. And uh, in that vein, of course, I expect I'll receive quite a few emails. So if it's short and focused and uh, has a very simple point to it, I think it would probably be much more likely to, yeah, to get on air than if it's long and rambling. So try to keep it short and focused. Short and sweet does the trick. Uh, so there are three ways to get your uh, comment or question in for episode 190. One is to use the contact form on CorbettReport.com to contact me. Two is to leave me a voicemail or phone message at my Skype phone number, which connects to my Skype account here in Japan. It is an Austin, Texas-based telephone number. So if you are in in North America, you don't need to dial out the country code. But if you are outside of North America, you would need need to dial out uh, for an international call. And then the country code is 1. And then for everyone, you'd have to type in 512-553-0297. That's international code one. 512-553-0297. And your third option for getting your comments on air is to leave a video response to the YouTube video that I am going to put up on my YouTube account on Monday, announcing this episode of the podcast. So when you see that uh, video, leave a video response to it, and that will also be considered for the program. And since this is an audio program, obviously audio responses and uh, video responses will be preferred to written comments so if you can please either phone me or leave the youtube video response because i would like to hear your dulcet tones and play your voices on the air so that's that's the idea for next week's episode it's completely up to you what you want to talk about anything is okay so just send in your your comments and i will try to put them on the air Finally, I would like to remind everyone that this is listener-supported alternative media, and as such, it is brought to you by you. So I would like to once again wholeheartedly thank all of those people who signed up to be subscribers to the Corbett Report this month by going to the subscribe tab on CorbettReport.com and hitting the subscribe PayPal button to sign up for a 100 Japanese yen monthly donation. That's just over one US dollar per month which, uh, uh, well, at this point, it gets you nothing in particular, but it does mean that you are supporting the Corbett Report monetarily, which is extremely important because without that, I wouldn't be able to continue to expand my operations. So once again, thank you to everyone who has signed up to be subscribers, and thank you to everyone who has put in your orders for the 2009 Video Archive DVD once again this month. And uh I did receive an email recently from someone who has indicated that he was unable to burn a copy of his DVD. And since I wholeheartedly encourage people to burn copies of this DVD, I wonder if it's a defect in his particular copy or if everyone has the same trouble. So if anyone out there has had the either success or failure in trying to copy that DVD, please let me know and I, I will see what I can do about that on my end. All right, well, that's a lot to go through, and as always, we have a lot more information to go through in today's episode, so let's get straight to it. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and electrical tin openers. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fabrics. 
choose DIY and wondering who they are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats that you spawn to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. Welcome, my friends, to episode 189 of the Corbett Report podcast, Choose Life. And as I'm sure many of my listeners will be aware, what you have just heard is an excerpt from the prose poetry of John Hodge, the screenwriter of the 1996 cult classic Trainspotting. And as I'm also sure many of my listeners will be aware, that prose poem takes its central conceit from the Bible verse, Deuteronomy 30.19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. But, of course, in John Hodge's interpretation, it becomes something altogether different, a snide, ironic take on life and choosing life, which in our current decadent society is a horrible thing because, as we well know from imbibing our cultural programming, humans are a cancer on this planet. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure. I'm going to give you a system analogous to the planet, and that's a test tube full of food for bacteria. So the test tube and food is the planet, and the bacteria are us. Now I'm going to introduce one bacterial cell in, and it's going to divide every minute. That's exponential growth. So at time zero, at the beginning, there's one cell. One minute, there are two. Two minutes, there are four. Three minutes, there are eight. Four minutes, 16. That's exponential growth. And at 60 minutes, the test tube is completely packed with bacteria, and there's no food left. So we have a 60-minute growth cycle, When is the test tube only half full? Well, of course, the answer is at 59 minutes. Even though it's been chugging along for 59 minutes, it's only half full, but one minute later, it'll be completely filled. So that means at 58 minutes, it's 25% full. 57 minutes, it's 12.5% full. At 55 minutes of a 60-minute cycle, it's 3% full. At uh, 55 minutes, one of the bacteria says, hey guys, I've been thinking, we got a problem. We got a population problem. The other bacteria would say, Jack, what the hell have you been smoking, man? 97% of the test tube's empty and we've been around for 55 minutes. And they'd be five minutes away from filling it. 
it's nice of you to stick up for us, but it won't help if you start upsetting our friends and neighbours. Yeah, right. OK, so what you're saying is we should do nothing to save the planet in case we upset somebody. No, that's not Well, that's how we got in this mess in the first place. People always find an excuse to do nothing. And now the human species is out of control. We're wasting the whole planet. Maybe, but you really... It's true. We're destroying our own environment. If we were any other species, we'd be culled. It's as simple as that. All right, this is what I think about people, and uh, this is where it's going to get really weird. I think human beings are just a very complicated form of bacteria. I think if you looked at the Earth as a living organism, and who's to say that it's not some sort of a super organism? It's certainly a host for life, and we're considered a living organism, but really we're a host for life. There's more E. coli living inside our gut than there have ever been people, ever. There's bacteria that's constantly around you, and your, your body's fighting off that bacteria until your body grows old and dies, and then it doesn't fight anymore, and that bacteria just eats your body. That's what it does. I mean, that's that's what it's there for. Okay, well, if you looked at the Earth as this living organism, and like you were flying into L.A., and you're passing over these beautiful mountains, and you see the ocean ahead, it all looks natural and beautiful, but then you see L.A. Well, what the fuck is that? That's a growth. That's cancer. It's big, and it's brown, and it stinks, and smoke's coming out of it, and it gets bigger every year. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's going to keep going. You can knock it down with a fucking hurricane. It rebuilds. Light it on fire. Rebuilds. And I think if you were an intelligent life form from another planet and you were looking at the Earth, you wouldn't see individual people. You wouldn't see housekeepers and limo drivers and stand-up comedians. You wouldn't see that. You would see mold on a sandwich. Oh, what a startlingly original and daring thing to say. Ooh, how shocking and avant-garde. Sigh. Well, I, I think the only thing that I'm surprised by, and I think the only thing many of you should be surprised by out there, is that many people really think that they are saying something shocking, avant-garde, and oh-so-original when they propound that humans are a cancer and must be dealt with as any other parasite or invader is. And what really surprises me is that people don't see the cultural programming programming and conditioning that we have been under for so long to try to convince us that this is the case, that life is not something to be celebrated, not something to be held up as something incredible, unbelievable, a wonderful thing. It is meant to be derided, scorned, and put under the ironic gaze of a decadent society that no longer wishes to see its own existence continued. That is a startling place for our society to have arrived at, and I do not think that human beings could get there without significant amount of social engineering taking us in that direction. And those clips that you heard were assembled by me in literally a few minutes of searching. It did not take a great deal of searching to find those examples from our everyday cultural programming about how we must get rid of humans because they are such a scourge of the planet. And of course, we have played other clips on this podcast in the past to demonstrate that very point and how the modern environmental movement is very much based around that, for example. But if this is part of a social engineering project, the likes of which we have looked at in previous episodes of this podcast, it does beg the question, who is behind this project and how do they benefit from making us think that we are a cancer that needs to be eliminated? For more on that, let's turn to the incomparable researcher Alan Watt of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com.
I've been watching other countries push the euthanasia bills through, and it's always the same techniques they use, of course, and uh, the same organizations involved that have actually got in naturally to their government departments. And um, it's time now. You see, it's time after the meetings I've had with Rockefeller and, the, and all the organizations at the top, at the Lucky Club, for instance, as they call it, where Rockefeller goes and Bill Gates goes. It's amazing when you become a multi-billionaire, you suddenly have this love to kill people off the planet. And, and that seems to be your main concern. There are just too many people. It's never something else. It's always the same thing, isn't it? But of course, they're all fronts. You understand that. Everyone who gets to the top in these organizations, even as a spokesperson or someone on TV that can sway the minds of millions, like Oprah, uh, they all play a part. And it is a part that's made for them. They're well produced. They are producers and handlers and managers and all the rest of it to make sure their image is just right for the audience and all the fools are going to mislead. However, once they get up there, they all join the club, the lucky club, they call it themselves. I guess that means the lucky genes, eh? And... Um, uh, then they decide to want to kill off the rest of the planet. And then in the last meeting, uh, Rockefeller said it wasn't good enough that sterilization was going underway, meaning, you know, health for women, by the way, is one of the terms he used for that across the world. They're, they're talking about sterilization uh, through the United Nations and with, in cohort with them, of course. And they, he actually said we'll have to start rapid depopulation. He's talking about culling, folks. It's not bad enough that we're dying off with cancers left and right from all age groups, by the way. It's increasing at a phenomenal rate. It's not fast enough for them because these boys and their offspring who truly believe that they have the right to go on with their offspring being superior, of course, and genetically, um, and we're eating up all the resources and we're not needed anymore, you see, to conquer the planet. That's pretty well. We've conquered it all for them. That was part of our job. So they're, they're trying to get us now to start to think more in humanistic terms because uh, they give us humanism to replace all the other religions that they knocked the floor under. And um, as they went down under the floor, uh, out came humanism, secular humanism, which is a religion in itself with its own belief system. Uh, however, it fits in with today's society, which has been made hedonistic, narcissistic, and basically egocentric. Uh, totally divided, of course, because what narcissist can get on with another, and everyone's a little actor in their own little bubble of a world where they all believe they're on um, reality television or something, and they have the aid of a technology which has been put out for them to encourage that too. You can't believe what people say in the streets now as they're passing by on the phone, or even the topics they pass to each other. You know, it's just incredible. Anyway, they're not really in a reality, and they don't mind who hears them. Everything's a reality show to them. But euthanasia, you see, we're the only creature on the planet that has to be uh, convinced through argument and persuasion to allow ourselves to be killed off. We truly are. You know, we, we have been domesticated. That's bad enough. But, you know, some even sheep sometimes, you get the occasional sheep that will not go into the pen. Because that sheep has seen something done by the shepherd at some time that, what, that kind of uh, went against the grain of him being a good shepherd. But it's implanted in his brain, and he doesn't want to go in there. We don't even have that sense. We don't even have that. Now, we have to be convinced through indoctrination at school and big scary stories, as they said at the top themselves. I've read the articles from the big boys. We must give them scary stories for them to believe anything. We have to be given scary stories and 
uh, we're all going to die stuff if we don't stop uh, pumping out CO2 and all that rot. That's kind of falling by the wayside as we go into this big cooling phase. But anyway, the, the carbon taxes will go ahead. Poverty is to come. And rationing of food will come. That has been on their agenda for over 60 years, by the way. Rationing of food. But they're going ahead now with their euthanasia advertising and signs and all the rest of it. Now, well, they started last year, I think, with abortion ads on TV. And now as pro-euthanasia signs get the go-ahead on billboards, it's a controversial advertisement which supports voluntary euthanasia, will be displayed on the Hume Highway, Yanuka, this is Australia, from next week after it was approved by Billboards Australia. Uh, the Canterbury Bankstown Express reports a debate is understood to have flared over the legality of the ad after Billboards Australia claimed its content could have flouted the New, the New South Wales Crime Act, which forbids the aiding of suicide or attempted suicide. But Greg Barnes, who is acting pro bono for voluntary euthanasia, I'm sure he is, yeah, a campaigner Philip uh, Nitschke, it's so, cl- so close to, to Nietzsche, isn't it? Uh, isn't it? Uh, so Philip Nitschke's organization, Exit International, argued otherwise and convinced the advertising agency that the billboard referred only to public support of voluntary euthanasia and the government's failure to mirror the sentiment. Public support, apparently, yeah, it's really, they're clamoring to be killed. Mm. The billboard also expected to be posted in Melbourne and Brisbane, Brisbane in coming months will read 85% of Australians support voluntary euthanasia. Our government doesn't make them listen. Well, really, you know, how they pick things out there like global warming and CO2 and stuff like that. Same with uh, their statistics, they dream up as well. Same thing, but it is the agenda and it's got to get pushed forward. It's got to be, the big boys have said it. Now start pushing, you see. Now, Holland already is put up as the, well, you know, if Holland's been doing it for years, what's wrong with us? Well, if they've been beheading people in, in, in some African country, should we start doing the same thing here? Huh? So you can't use that kind of logic, but they use it all the time. Roll up, roll up to Uncle Bob's Euthanasia Emporium. That's right, if you die this week, it's two for one. Bring your loved one with you, because it's got to be better than this planet. Yes, um, well, okay, I am completely convinced uh, by the advertising and all of the things that we're subjected to on a daily basis, and now I want to die, but even if I die, it would still be bad for the environment, because my rotting corpse and or my charred corpse, when they when they burn me up, that's going to be releasing even more of that deadly, nauseous, life-giving substances into the atmosphere that, as we know, is playing such havoc with the climate and will utterly destroy all life on Earth for all time. So I'm a bit concerned about this. How do I die in an ethical way? Um, is there anyone out there that can help me with this? They do want you sterile. Well, we, we know that we're down 85%, 87% of the sperm counts of what we were back in 1950. And 1950 was a big push to start the polio vaccines, which contained all the cancer viruses, plus many other active simian viruses at the same time, which they haven't told us what they would do. But I'm sure they all had their effects as well. So that we had the cancer viruses and no doubt too something else added, which would also cause infertility because most men today in the Western countries are basically uh, pretty well infertile, even amongst the young guys. And I've given the articles on air here where even young men around 18 were picked every year at universities and even they have about 10% more child sperm 
10%. That means something that knows where it's going to find its target. The rest can't get there. They don't even know where, where to go. And once they hit about 25, there's, there's hardly anything there at all. This is a big mystery, isn't it, for those who want to live in disbelief. And along with that, too, comes the, the green burials require no coffins or chemicals from the Associated Press. This is one of these light-hearted things that they put out there, the way they put it forward, how it's eco-friendly and so on, about this chemicalization to turn you into a kind of green syrup. One article I read before said you could actually pour granny in your back garden's garden, uh, backyard's garden, and uh, grow something of value out of old granny, you know. That's how callous we're supposed to become as we do humanize society further and further until we're just a low base animal that they want us all to believe we are. Certainly lots behave like that today because they mimic all they see on their movies and television. Anyway, it says here uh, that uh, Steve Sal moved forward on, on an, an EV rocking terrain in his motorized wheelchair and came to a stop at the edge of a sweeping vista of ponderosa pines and bright pockets of yellow wildflowers before being stricken three years ago with Lou Gehrig's disease, the 61-year-old Oregon resident who was an avid hiker would have backpacked his canyon. Instead, he was there to pick his own gravesite. Three months later, Sal was laid to rest in the forest. He'd be amongst a small but growing number of Americans choosing environmentally friendly burials. The so-called green burials are a departure from the norm that in they don't use concrete vaults, metal coffins, or any chemicals. The Green Burial Council, an industry group that sets standards, now counts more than 300 approved providers in 40 states, while only a dozen exited as recently as the beginning of 2008. In a March 2010 survey commissioned by the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association, found a quarter of those polled liked the concept of environmentally friendly burials. This is really an ad, you understand, this is a PR ad. I hope you understand that. Uh, it's a, probably paid for two, a handout. And then it says here that um, we think of this as a new idea, but this is really an ancient idea we're returning to, said uh, Joe Sihi, executive director of the New Mexico-based council. A bear in the wilderness was especially appealing to Saul after spending so much of his life, blah, 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 in the mountains and picking flowers, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it says here that uh, he didn't like the idea of pumping dis- gases into the atmosphere, <laughs> said his son David. (laughs) Saul began researching green burials on the internet, eventually finding the website for the White Eagle Memorial Preserve, an actual burial ground about 15 miles from a small town of Goldendale. So, they're going into this uh, green uh, greening of uh, dying and all the rest of it too, because you see the big boys want the top real estate. They actually want to plow up graveyards as well. So, even though you pay for them all in advance, that's another con trick as well. They just, they just want to dig them up and, and, and build something on it. And probably the chemical company that makes the stuff that turns you into green sludge. Because they still use chemicals to do this kind of stuff, you see. So it's good business for the chemical agencies. The chemical agencies, too, that probably kill you off with all the cancers and the food, too, and, and processed stuff. You know, that's how it really works. Someone always makes a buck off death, you know, always makes a buck off death. And then the world faces a population bomb. We'll get into that when I come back from this break. It's all about eugenics, folks. 
All right, all right. I think the point has been made, and I think we've established the idea by this point, that we are being steeped in a culture of death that sees death as a solution to life and something desirable because it is the only way to get rid of the scourge of humans from the planet. And at a certain point, even pointing this out and, and displaying it to people, it becomes counterproductive because we already know to a large extent, certainly I imagine longtime listeners to this podcast will know that we are being steeped in a culture of death. And the point here is not to dwell on that or not to fixate on it, not to concentrate on it, not even to fight against it, because in fighting against something, of course, we tend to build it up and make it into a, a great enemy, which in, in and of itself tends to promote the idea and help it to propagate even further. So I will leave you to continue to explore the various ways that we are being steeped in this culture of death and to continue exploring the signets and signals of and symbols of death that are put in our face all the time by the political elite and power players. And you can explore, of course, not only Schwarzenegger's death head and uh, belt buckle and uh, Rothschild's death head belt, belt buckle and uh, Glenn Beck's death head cummerbund. And you can explore all of the, uh, the death ceremonies and blood rituals and sacrifices that take place at the uh, MTV Music Awards and other such places and all of the ways that we're being steeped in this. And you can even continue exploring for yourself how people are starting to internalize this and actively wish for their own death. You can take a look at the YouTube videos of various, the, the very, very many different programs that have all come along in the last few years. Funny how that happens, isn't it? Talking about what will happen when all humans die off and what will happen to the planet. And let's look a million years into the future and see how vines grow over the uh, the Statue of Liberty or whatever. Uh, all of those types of programs have come along in the last few years. And if you go and look at the comment section on the YouTube videos of these, you can see many, many people uh, propagating the idea that, yes, humans are a scourge on this planet and I can't wait for us all to die off. It's bizarre to see people actively clamoring and desiring their own death, but there it is. And you can also take a look at even videos that I've produced in attempting to combat this this style of thinking, this Malthusian lie that is often used by the elite to get us to desire our own death. And you can take a look, for example, at my last word on overpopulation video and see the numerous comments, some of them well-liked, uh, basically propounding the idea that, yes, the world would be much better if we could just get rid of masses of us. So, again, I don't want to concentrate on that. I think we have very much established this, not only in today's episode, but of course in many, many, many other episodes and podcasts and videos that I've put out in the past, the idea that we are being steeped in the culture of death. So, the question is, if we are being put into this culture of death and being made to desire our own death, what is the alternative to that? And what do we have to do in order to counteract that? Well, I would posit that as opposed to the culture of death, we have to try to build up a culture of life. And it's almost unthinkable that we would be placed in a situation where we have to build up a culture of life. That seems to be something that would be instinctual. And maybe it is, but whatever instincts we may have had in the past that taught us that we should be praising our, our own existence and trying to foster more of ourselves on this planet, well, we have to counteract the programming that says that, oh, humans are a scourge. Because, of course, we are shown all of the horrible things that have been done by individuals and mostly 
propagated by the elite psychopaths who run the system at the very top, and yet we are always made to feel guilty uh, as a as a collective for the actions of the few, as if, well, look at what this human did, therefore all humans must die. And that is fundamentally flawed logic. And if we can combat that, well, we ha- can hopefully put people on a st- the st- step where they're willing to take a look at alternatives. And at that point, we must offer them an alternative. We must offer them a culture of life that celebrates our existence on this planet and points out the incredible, amazing achievements of the human species and the incredible things that we have in our future if we continue to thrive and shake off the real parasites on our society, which is a very, very few people at the very, very top that control the vast majority of the resources and wield them for their own sake. And they are the ones that are trying to inculcate us with this culture of death, and they are not the ones who are lining up to be culled, one can be sure. So how do we go about constructing a culture of life? What does that even look like? Well, Unfortunately, that is harder and harder to really understand these days as we become more and more detached from those basic instincts. And that's why I'd like to turn to a researcher and a radio broadcast host who I think is doing an incredible job of constantly very much staying on the positive and showing people what the culture of life really looks like. And that is Freeman of FreemanTV.com. Now, to be sure, Freeman covers areas and subject matters that are very different from what the Corbett Report covers, and I certainly don't agree with everything that he's saying, but I certainly do admire the way that he really does stick to the script, as it were, in terms of offering a positive culture of life as opposed to the culture of death that we're being indoctrinated into and for that reason i often tune into the free zone which is of course available for free subscription from freemantv.com so i suggest people do do that and and take a listen to his uh, his archives because he has such a positive message of what humans can do to come together to create a culture of life and i very much like some of the memes that he is throwing out into the into the internet such as the idea of a friendship agenda the idea that we need to overgrow the government the idea that looking for problems is not the solution all of these ideas are very apropos and get to the heart of what i'm trying to communicate in today's episode so let's listen to an excerpt from a recent free zone radio broadcast in which freeman makes this very point there are, there are no ecological problems that we could not deal with very simply. That humanity, actually, in abundance, can save the planet. As opposed to your common thread, the belief of Earth first, as the poor children are seeing on their dumpsters on the way to school, all of this programming of how horrible humanity is and how much they need to be removed from the equation, the answer actually seems to be quite the opposite that more people actually nurture the land better, more, and it becomes far more abundant. But that's only if we were moving to an agrarian society, a a society that was more focused on slack time, praise Bob, and uh, nurturing, yes, and growing life. If this existence was to, to be cultivated, then no one could stop us, guys. I don't care how big Big Brother is. If 95% of us just said, eh, enough, we're going to go out to the garden, this whole charade would end. I don't care how many bombs they tried or what they tried or what mind games they threw at us, how many Bin Ladens they brought back from the dead, it wouldn't matter. But you see, as long as we're caught up in the fight, as long as we're attacking the enemy, 
no solution will ever come, and they know this. And that's why they don't mind that you're out there seeking this data. They want it out there. They want Alex Jones ranting and raving. They want patriots. They want the people ready to shed blood. As long as you're in the game, the game goes on. So how much before you realize the game is rigged? How much before you start to accept your beliefs that <laughs> the world is ending? And then take the direct action, the direct route. The straight to the, oh, well, all right, I'll go out to my garden. I'll read a book. I'll go live my life. I'll paint a great painting. I'll make a song. I'll do whatever I feel like because none of this is real. How long will it take us to, to jump into that mode? How long? What will it take? Like I say, for me, it was my Y2K. Many people have conspiracy gateways. And then as the levels start to compound, they start to see how mysterious this all really is a lot of things start to lose meaning. So as I watch people try to rally behind and gather millions, if not billions of dollars to give to Ron Paul in hopes that maybe they could have a front man that would lead the stage in the direction they're hoping, they're still watching the stage. It's still a performance, and nothing is going to change. We can see this. <laughs> nothing has changed. Still, the agenda carries forth. No matter who gets into office, no matter what goes on, the agenda carries forth. And that's redden on our backs. It was my honor to talk to Freeman of FreemanTV.com on this very subject last month. And that entire interview is available for download at CorbettReport.com. But let's take a listen to our interview where we discuss the culture of life and how we can concentrate on living instead of dying. We are now working on a film called Outgrow the Illuminati. And uh, so we want to kind of combine these two thoughts together so that you can see the, the mistrust and then the trust. And what we have easily found, you know, as I found from Rainbow, is that everything does revolve around the food. Now, I was once working for Pizza Hut, and they came to me and said, uh, you know, you make the best pizzas in the entire region. Can you come and teach all the rest of the Pizza Hut cooks how to your secret and i looked at these corporate schmucks and i just laughed and said you know love is an ingredient and i can't teach that and their jaws just dropped they didn't know what to think they didn't know what to do with me and and i i didn't take the position i, I didn't want the position uh i was teaching everybody about harp and y2k and everything else at that moment uh so uh, while while serving them pizza Right. So so one part of this is planting seeds. One part is that we're trying to barrage people with the truth and beat it into their skulls. Now, the main uh, thing here is that you just need to plant the seed and let it grow. You can't you cannot force a plant to grow. You cannot do it, force people to, to believe what you believe. You can only plant the seed and let them grow. So that's one aspect of this growing apparatus instead of trying to, you know, beat this into your head. Uh, but what we started was a full community garden network. And it really, once again, fell together all synchronistically as uh, my entire block decided it was a good time to start growing food. Um, I think it's a natural instinct, you know, like animals sensing the flood or whatever. They, they, you know, the earthquake's coming and they're running. Uh, humans are all of a sudden like, wow, this is just obvious. I've got to grow some food. 
and it's happening all over with us. And so we've got a big worm farm going and we filmed how to create this and showing you how low our budget is and how small you can do this. And we're actually comparing and contrasting this with another permaculture project that's going on in the in north of town, which is actually a government sponsored, granted uh, permaculture farm. And I think we're going to beat them on no budget whatsoever. I think we're going to outdo them. Uh, so we're going to document that at the same time. And so we have we have the worm farm going to get the good uh, compost tea that we can then feed all of our plants with. We've got Ormus manufacturing going on, which is a, a method to create monoatomic elements, such as monoatomic gold, palladium, erodium. Uh, and this all comes out of dead sea salts or out of primordial salts uh, to you release it and we're gonna we're gonna have a film on this you release it through using a, a lie uh, uh, that's the you know the chemical lie and food grade of course and you bring it right to the right pH and it, it actually releases all these monoatomic elements and, and detaches everything else which you wash out and so now you're left with just the very base ingredients of life structure and we have been placing this stuff on our plants and they have tripled in size. It's amazing what this stuff does because all of our soil has lost all of its ingredients, all of its nutrients and things. So we're learning the methods to bring all of this together. And we have Jay the terraformist who's been a star on my show a few times. We moved him in and so he's living on my couch now. And I love finally being the couch guy instead of the surfer. <laughs> but, so at this moment, we have Gong the Planet, who is a crew that's going around doing uh, rhythmic healings or sonic healings on people. And we have uh, Jay the Terraformist here, and we have a number of the neighborhood all gathered, and we're all just digging in. And we're going to plant and grow some of the best food that we could possibly ever imagine. And it's going to be more abundant. That's the thing when you start to discover that a seed makes another billion seeds. You know, it's just exponential. Uh, you can just, abundance is here. It's just a matter of releasing the mentality of having money. Uh, consider that we are building this garden, improving the land, doing all of this work. And this is not my property. I am paying a landlord to live here. And yet I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to improve his land. I'm going to build all of this garden and, and then leave it for the next renter uh, if I, when I leave here. So how much of the culture of death and the lie that uh, humans are a scourge on this planet and that there's overpopulation and we can't have any more people, how much of that lie do you think is propagated by the, by the idea of detaching us from nature and trying to convince us that we can't do anything like this on our own? Yeah, all of it. And they know, you know, they know that's why they're passing house resolutions to end these type of uh, community gardens and to regulate gardening and, and the release of the vegetables out of such things. They don't want this. They know that we can empower ourselves with this. None of it has been true. Uh, most of it came to us statistically based from the Club of Rome. And they put out a book called Limits to Growth. And it was this that was passed through every institution, through every university. I had to read it in college to say that humanity was expanding in such a grand rate that we would overgrow the planet in no time at all. Now, the truth of the scenario is that we find that people could, uh, the entire planet's human population could probably fit comfortably in Texas. 
And as you drive across the United States, as I do so often, you'll find that there is plenty of empty space. The problem is, of course, water generation, power generation, and the problems that we have for uh, just food, water, and power and structures. Uh, now, these things are open. We just had the, the Pope talking with Mark Kelly on the International Space Station, and Mark's trying to explain to them, uh, to the Pope, about how uh, all of their new energies that they're using in the space station would free humanity and end all war and strife. And the Pope's like, yes, yes, you know. Uh, that was just the most recent with the Pope and the International Space Station. Uh, as we start to look and as this proliferation of intelligence is coming to us through YouTube, I mean, one of the greatest mystery schools out there, YouTube, anything you want to learn, <laughs> there it is. Uh, we're starting to learn all these new techniques on, on generating energy, generating things and, and being able to you know, run cars on water or run power sources with no problems or heat your house with uh, biomass. You know, you've got your compost going outside. It's also heating your bathtub. Meanwhile, your bathtub's draining into your, your banana pit. You know, it, it's all one good cycle and, and we're starting to get a gestalt or a holographic uh, vision of how this all works. Uh, so what we really believe and what we've seen as far as what humans being caretakers of the planet is that the more people, the better if we were focused on creation instead of destruction. And the more people, the more leisure time and the more food and abundance and everything else we would have. So we've actually found it to be quite the opposite, that there would be more paradise, more paradisical gardens around the globe, and less climate change, less uh, destruction and all of that if there were more humans, if those humans were practicing agrarian societies. I trust that the message of today's episode is not lost on the listeners out there, and the need to communicate this message is also not lost, because there is no doubt that we have been steeped in this culture of death, where we have been trained to think of death as a wonderful thing, and we have been so desensitized to death through all the various media that we consume on a daily basis that we can hear about the mass deaths that are happening all day, every day, all around the world, in the various conflicts and various things that the elite are doing, and the wars that they are waging, for their own benefit and we are made to feel guilty for if we are even led to think about it at all and usually more often than not we are not made to think about death unless it suits the purposes of the controllers and unfortunately we have been trained to think that death is a wonderful thing and that humanity is a scourge on this planet when the real scourge is the parasitical psychopaths at the very top who are puppeteering this system for their own gains their own ends to ensure that they propagate off into the future and that we are not only cold, but actually willingly go to the slaughter. It is time to drop the ironic tone and the cynical stance and stop thinking of ourselves as oh-so-clever and avant-garde for thinking that humanity is a scourge instead of something to be celebrated and propagated. It's time to choose life. That's all for this week. I am your host, James Corbett, thanking you for joining me and asking you to join me next week for episode 190 of this podcast, Listener Feedback. Now, I've justified this to myself in all sorts of ways. It wasn't a big deal, just a minor betrayal, or we'd outgrown each other, you know, that sort of thing. But let's face it, I ripped them off, my so-called mates. But Begbie, I couldn't give a shit about him. 
And Sig Boy, well, he'd have done the same to me if he'd only thought of it first. And Spud, well, okay, I felt sorry for Spud. He never hurt anybody. offer a million answers, all false. The truth is that I'm a bad person, but that's going to change. I'm going to change. This is the last of that sort of thing. I'm cleaning up and I'm moving on, going straight and choosing life. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm going to be just like you. The job, the family, the fucking big television, the washing machine, the car, the compact disc and an electrical tin opener, good health, low cholesterol, dental insurance, mortgage, starter home, leisure wear, luggage, three-piece suite, DIY, game shots, junk food, children, walks in the park, nine to five, good at golf, washing the car, choice of sweaters, family Christmas, index pension, tax exemption, clearing the gutters, getting by, looking ahead, the day you die. 